0: Welcome to the public morality. Magda Goebbels, wife of Nazi leader, Joseph Goebbels and the unofficial first lady of Nazi Germany was quite frankly, an enigma whose devotion to Adolf Hitler led to one of the most ghoulish conclusions as she murdered six of her seven children before she and her husband ended their lives. But who was this mysterious woman who was the female face of Nazi Germany, whose own Jewish lineage had to be concealed this is among the questions screenwriter kaylord hill seeks to unpack with his ambitious undertaking solitaire a 10 episode single season television series currently in production phase solitaire has already drawn buzz as it has won several awards most recently it was a finalist at the austin film festival's pitch competition in addition I am honored that Hill's project was inspired by my 2018 release, Solitaire, Magda Goebbels, A Banality of Ambition and Evil. k Hill, welcome back to the Public Morality. Great to have you, sir.
1: Great to be back, man.
0: Well, I I, I want to begin uh, by having you give um, listeners a synopsis. Who is Magda Goebbels?
1: Yeah. So, you know, Magda Goebbels, you know, uh, is or was rather um, the um, unofficial first lady of Nazi Germany. Um, So she is someone that um, uh, kind of comes to power at a time Um, And and that really comes to power, but she's around all of the decision makers, all of the power brokers, rather, uh, in the Nazi regime. And so, um, but she has a story um, that just hasn't been told. And so when you look at it from that perspective, um, she is someone of, I think, great interest and great intrigue. And um, I, I think that her story um is you know definitely a cautionary tale (laughs) of being careful of who you align yourselves with um but uh i mean she she has a really interesting um and i i don't know if rich is necessarily the word but um anyone who goes from being the child of a maid to the unofficial First Lady of Nazi Germany within, you know, kind of spitting range of, you know, Hitler um, and, you know, kind of, you know, goes from powerless to, you know, great extensions of power, I think is someone of, uh, of just interest. So uh, that's kind of who she is. And, um, you know, looking forward to telling her story a little bit more and more.
0: Okay. <clears throat> Talk about that because you 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 raised uh, that she went from maid to being spinning distance of Hitler. I mean I mean child of a maid. Uh, right. So let's let's so let's begin with her origins. You say it's an interesting story. So so tell us about her origins. How you know how, how she grew up and and who you know in those formative years.
1: Yeah. So, you know, Magda grows up, um, you know, you know, her mom is a maid, um, her Her biological father, uh, right, which is important to distinguish. She has a biological father and then she goes on to have a stepfather later on who is very influential in her life. <laughs> but she, you know, uh, she is the child of a maid. Um, you know, her mom. Right. Makes you know a meager living you know going from house to house and uh cleaning homes uh her father her biological father that is um he you know he's a guy who actually is 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 of a certain class right he is you know what you would consider at the time the upper class um he's an industrialist he's a businessman he kind of works for himself um and, and so you know at the initial point of her life, like there's a there's an interesting dichotomy between between rich and poor, you know, her poor mother and her rich father, her rich biological father. Um, she keeps somewhat of a relationship with him in her earlier years, and her formative years. Um, <clears throat> and then that relationship sort of dissipates, um, I think, around the time her mom meets her stepfather um who's you know who's Richard Freelander um and so um Richard Freelander you know is um you know is a guy who you know himself like not necessarily a wealthy guy he's definitely not a wealthy guy but you know he kind of has his own sort of you know it, it be, these businesses that he's kind of affiliated with, or he you know runs a little merchant shop or pop up stand kind of thing. Um, <clears throat> so as the relationship with her biological father sort of dissipates, um, and her mother you know kind of gets into a more romantic relationship with Richard Freelander, um, you know, uh, Magda's focus sort of turns to you know, the man that's around her mother all the time, which is Richard Freelander. And, you know, he's a guy who really gives her the attention that she's really been kind of dying to have, right? Because she doesn't really, you know, she doesn't have a consistent male figure in her life. And so he kind of, and so her stepfather kind of provides that for her. And, you know, he provides that for her in a very special way from giving her, you know, special attention. He takes her her on father-daughter dates, um, he buys her her favorite dessert. he takes it to the bakery, right He does all these things that um really that she's been missing um and she's been wanting and um, and, and so her childhood and, and and it is important to know that you know her stepfather is Jewish, right Her stepfather is Jewish um and this is a this is a man who loved her and so while you know while her mother, you know, while her mother was in this relationship um, or marriage with Richard Freelander, um, uh, Magda, in many ways, is a practicing Jew, right? Um, they are fulfilling many of the the, the rituals and routines uh, of like you know Jewish orthodoxy, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so right, and so right, right there, you look at her childhood. And, you know, kind of juxtapose that to, you know, who she ends up becoming um, and it's quite a stark divide. And so, um, again, that's, you know, one of the more interesting, I think points, parts of her story. And yeah, that's her upbringing. She 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 has a pretty rich upbringing. Um, they do have to flee from, you know, from Belgium uh, to Berlin, um, you know, at the onset of World War One. Um so you know they do you know they do seek refuge in Berlin and Berlin becomes home and you know Berlin is the place where she meets all of her friends um you know in many ways becomes a popular girl um and you know many of the friends that she met you know were Jewish <laughs> and so um and so she lives up until um 16 maybe 16 17 um she lives a fairly normal life a life that i think many kids would consider a good life like got both you know got at least two parental units right maybe not both biological parents but two parental units she has friends um you know they you know her parents are making some sort of living for her she goes to school
0: she has a regular life Right. So um, let me just ask you right there. Let me just pop in right there. So from what I'm gathering in in the story, the way the way you're portraying it, this is a woman who is sort of is an illegitimate daughter uh, of a a wealthy industrialist who um, had the availability of the maid being in close proximity, and then her stepfather is Jewish. That's not what we think of, you said she grew up Jewish. That's not how we envision someone who, as you term would be the unofficial first lady of Nazi Germany. Right. Right.
1: No, no, it's not. I mean, and that's, man, you know, I wish it, uh, you know, as I've been, you know, telling this story a lot more, um, you know, and I'm finding, you know, more interesting ways I think go about, telling this story and to go about marketing this story. But um, I mean, that's really the jump off point, right? Like that's that's really the jump off point, like um, uh, uh, of the story. Like that's really the hook. Like how how does a woman, right? How does a woman who grows up following everything Jewish, end up hating Jews like I mean right so it's man it's a it's a very wild thing to kind of wrap your head around and and um and so um but yeah that that is a, that that is it is abnormal to kind of think of uh I think when we think of certain stories we look at sort of we just called it a canon if we looked at the nazi canon of like filmmaking um you know or or stories like hers in in some ways i think we would see you know people that have people that um that are evil have evil storylines uh and things like that um but this sort of detail right this sort of detail of grew up a certain way um you know denounces you know and so in order for her to go from following jewish uh, jewish practices to you know hating jews right it, the in between is that she has to denounce jews right in some form of you know in some form of action and so in her life um you know the beginning of that is you know the very man who loved her which is her stepfather so her stepfather um you know in my opinion outside of her he is the most important character to the story because he he breathes so much life into her and yet she's the one who takes life from him right um and so and so her sort of point of no return as i call it is not only denouncing the you know not only denouncing Jewish practices but um distancing you know herself from her stepfather um and so it the more and more I got I say you know ingratiated into this story the more and more I realized um this is this is this is wild this is crazy this is unexplainable um and you know why does she do this right and so at every point every point every decision she makes I'm like why is she making these decisions why this decision why give up your stuff father you know why not invite him to the wedding you know that you were going to have right and so um you know uh, she makes a lot of decisions, um, starting from childhood, not, not, not necessarily childhood, but you know, late teenhood, uh, that really puts her, you know, in this position um where uh, her soul is always going to be up for purchase.
0: Oh, so. I want to ask you a, a couple questions about that, but before we get there, um who is Jaimar Rosaloff?
1: Right. So Jaimer Rosaloff is is magda's uh really her first boyfriend you know haima rosaloff uh to magda and to to her he is um uh, you know he's a friend um he you know represents you know sort of her first form of you know her first experience with intimacy uh, in, in some ways I would say you know I, even though she's a young and she's teen but like sort of tapping into her sexuality a little bit um he is um you know at a period of time in her youth I mean he is the most inspirational person um she's met um outside of her stepfather right And so I mean this is a this is a kid at the time. Um, who, who's able to speak with such flair, such confidence, um, such passion that he's able to galvanize not only you know kids his age, but adults as well. Um, and you know, when you're when you're reading about this this very young figure, um, and the way he's able to capture crowds, capture people, um, and, and get people to move, get people to protest. Um
0: He's a Zionist leader. He's a, he's great. Really-
1: right. You know, he goes on to become, he goes on to become, um, the perennial, uh, Zionist leader, um, the, you know, the most perennial. And, and so, but at the time that she meets him, um, he, he's just a, a, a young, he's just a young, charismatic, well-spoken, um, um, kid that, that has a lot of passion and, one thing that strikes, and that's what strikes Magda is that that there's someone, there's a there's a kid, there's a there's a young boy out there that is is able, that knows himself so well. And I think at that time she's searching for her for for her identity. And I think anyone that looks like they are, very, you know, very informed as to who they are. Um, I think she she wants to latch on to them. She wants to latch on to them. She wants to befriend them, and and she in some ways wants to figure out how to get that elixir. How do I get that excited about life? Who am I, right? And so you know, you you'd have to imagine she's kind of asking herself th- these questions at a at a late teen years, especially having a stepfather and then having a biological father, and you know, and you look at the the social context of the time um, you know, why do, you know, why do certain groups have more influence? Why is there upper class? Why is there a lower class? And why can't the lower class penetrate the upper class? Why do you just have to be born into the upper class? Why did my biological father end up leaving my mother? And right, she's, so I think Magda's beginning to ask these questions. And, um, Kaima is one of her first indications into, really discovering her identity. Um, And so, um, but it was, uh, it it, it ends up becoming a very short-lived romance. Um, But it it is, you know, one of the more important times in her life, in her her young adulthood life.
0: So, given that uh, Aroslav later migrated to what would be, at the time was called Palestine, later Israel, and he was, this leading figure would it be uh out of the question to say that magna goebbels could have been in addition to the unofficial first lady of nazi germany and things that played out she could have also been the first first lady of what we now call israel
1: yeah you know i don't think it's i don't think it's ridiculous or a hyperbole to make that statement um you know, I think if you look at the if you look at the trajectory of her life at that point, at that special point with the the friend, I mean, at this time, like all her friends are Jewish. You know, Jaime Rosoloff, who becomes her boyfriend, right? It, we we see kind of the track that he's on. Um, it's not ridiculous to think that I mean, her stepfather, who's influential, who's Jewish, right? Um, it is not ridiculous to believe that this could have been a viable path for, for Magda's life, um, you know, but things start to change. Um, you know, the way she engages with the world changes what she wants out of the world, um, changes. And, um, <clears throat> and so as, as the desires change as the, you know, I think the, the wants change, um, you know, her her social and political context changes as well, um, really unbeknownst to her at the time. But as we get to her story later, we we see that these are really that this time is really sort of the foundational period of her transformation. So
0: you, you talked about um, some of the decisions, some of the key decisions she made. So I want to jump ahead and have you talk about her first husband, Gunter Quant, who was he? And what decision did Magda make that you consider to be that turning point? Yeah,
1: you know, Gunther Quant is, I mean, it's crazy, right? It's, 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 it, this is such an interesting story because w- when I look at it, um, when I look at it from a modern lens, I'm like, this happens every day, <laughs> right? Like, this happens every day. Um, like, you know, you see sometimes like, like you will see, and I'm not going after anybody in particular, anything like that. So this isn't laced with anything, but like you, you see people like in the media, you see moguls or you just see celebrities or whoever you see people that have garnered a name for themselves and they have shown themselves to us as believing one thing. As believe or believing, or 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 we believe they are possessed of a particular type of worldview, and then like they, you know, they dismiss certain family members or they start moving away from that, and then they marry into another family, um, and then you find out that they have a, a like a whole another worldview, and so it's interesting from a modern POV because people are doing this actively day in and day out. Um, but like at this time, I just think it's, it, it, this is it's like radical, but like Gunther Quinn to the point is, um, Gunther Kwan is a, he's a BMW industrialist. And, and in some ways, I think he, um, and I'd have to do a little bit more back backstory on him, but, um, he is, um, one of the, I'd say influencers of, of BMW. I, I, maybe he's a founder. Maybe you could consider him that, but nonetheless, he's a man He works for BMW. He has a lot of money. He has a lot of influence. He is a man of the upper class. Um, Gunther Quant finds Magda um, when she's in finishing school, sees her on the train, um, you know, on her way to finishing school, um, you know, passes a couple of glances, and then he starts making a pass at her. Um, and, you know, this is you know, outside of her stepfather, this is you know one, probably one of the first times uh, you know that Magda is you know getting attention from an older man, and this is an older man with right with 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 resources, and he has property, and he has money, and things like that, and he has influence, and he has the key. Um, he has the key to her elevating in social classes. Um, and so um, he, you know, uh, after a certain you know, period of courtship, like he asks, he asks her to marry her, uh, to marry him. <clears throat> uh, but he has some, but he has some restrictions and he has some, you know, he has some restrictions and guidelines that he, that he wants her to follow, which are, she has to completely disown her father. Right. Um, her and,
0: and Her stepfather
1: he has to yeah she has to completely disown her stepfather um and that is the you know as I you know in many ways I always say you know Magda's life comes down to deal or no deal um this is the first one of the first deals that's put in put in her lap is if you know if you sort of want if you want to elevate your life then I can help you elevate your life um but you are going to have to denounce, you're going to have to give up, we're going to get away from, move away from, um, your Jewish upbringing and everything and everyone, um, that represents that, right? So, and and Magda has a tough decision to make, right? Um, the, the stepfather that, you know, dotes on her, that has loved her unconditionally, sometimes loved her more than her own mother loved her, Um, gave her more grace than, you know, gave her more grace uh, than her mother did, um, treated her like his own, gave her his last name. You know, she has to make a decision about whether she wants to end that relationship or not. And uh, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't instantly, you know, yes, I'm going to disown my father. Um, But inevitably, after a couple of days, she decides that the answer is yes, I'll marry you. I'm going to disown my father. Um, and, And that's the beginning. That is the beginning. And I tell people this, like, that is the real point of no return in this story. There's no going back. There's no going back for her. You, and there's no going back for her because if you look at the, if you look at her her life. She never does go back. She she never she never turns back after, you know, her marriage and says, "Oh, Dad, I'm sorry, man. I made a brutal mistake. Oh, Dad, um, you know, I made I, I made a mistake uh, initially, but I wanted to get in good with the class." And I was going to, I was always coming back for you. Like, no, she, she never walked it back with him like ever. Right. And so it's the point of no return. So at this point she's never, <laughs> um, so to quote one of my favorite movies, like the dark night, uh, you know, the Joker tells, <clears throat> the Joker tells Batman, he's like, there's no going. He said, I know the truth. There's no going back. You've changed things. I mean, it's true. Like she's changed things and there really is no going back for her. Um, and so this really propels, I think the rest of her story forward um, in how does Magda maneuver her new reality uh, of what, going What
0: happened forward. to Richard Freelander, her father, her stepfather, what happened to him?
1: you know he kind of disappears into like relative obscurity for a while um her father does end up passing away uh in the later part of her story and this story in general um he ends up passing away but he ends up dying in a concentration camp um and you know she you know she again another decision before her like do i tell you know, do I tell the Nazi regime, do I tell Hitler, do I tell, you know, Joseph Goebbels, my husband, that the man that I'm going to ask you to free is Jewish and he's also my stepfather? Like, you know, is she willing to reveal that that part of her? And, you know, the answer is no, um, she doesn't. And so Joseph Goebbels ends up uh, dying in a concentration camp with no aid from his stepdaughter.
0: Talk about the role that the game solitaire or as it's called in your patience plays in this story.
1: Well, I think, well, you know, and, you know, we've had our struggles, I think, incorporating um, or at least I've had my struggles incorporating the game solitaire to some extent in, into the vein uh, of uh, the TV show of the script. Uh, but you know Solitaire is a game that she literally plays and ends up becoming sort of a a figure a figurative um it just ends up becoming a metaphor for how she she goes through life. Um, I mean, Solitaire is a game, right um right you stack and discard you know and, and you know and once you once you've gotten to once you've gotten to a certain point with a certain deck or a certain stack of cards and you've done all you can do with those cards um you discard and you you discard and you start over and and that begins to solitaire in terms of that aspect is how she is how she plays her life right like when people no longer serve a purpose to her she discards though, right? When we when, when her stepfather can no longer when the love of her stepfather really no longer compares to what she's going to receive from Gunther Coin. That is, you know, obviously something she's never had financial security, um, access to a higher class, access to dinner parties, things like that, access to to, to, to these nodes of power that she's never had before, uh, it becomes very easy for her to say, yeah, I'm done. Yeah. Get rid of it. Um, um, it's no different than Haima Rosaloff, you know, when, when she's making a decision between, um, Haima Rosaloff or do I go to finishing school? I mean, finishing school represents, Um, the beginning of right, the beginning of the runway to this life that she's she's starting to envision for herself. Um, Right, she's beginning to right, and I I think some of this is coming with a a, a great degree of um, you know, and that's one thing we don't talk about, like. she's not making, she's just not doing these things. Like she is doing, she's making these decisions with a lot of precision. I think a lot of strategy and I think a lot of reflection. Now, uh, albeit, it, 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 you know, these these are all bad consequences and bad decisions, but she's arriving at these places um, with um, very acute decision-making. Right. Because if you follow the tri- if you follow the pattern of how of uh, the pattern of how she makes decisions, like it is very cold, it is very calculated. Um, she's not just like, oh, I'm gonna try this now. Oh, that's the new flavor of ice cream. Let me try that. No, it, she 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 has a process. She has a process and she has a method. And, and and when people no longer serve purpose, she discards them. And 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 that's how she plays the game of solitaire. And that's how I think the game really uh, serves, serves as, you know, uh, uh, a symbol, you know, in, in the story that this game that she learns to play at a younger age, at a young age, really starts to, you can see, a, it really starts to inform how she makes decisions um, and how she plays with uh, the cards, uh, the deck of cards in her life. So,
0: well allow me to put on my cynical hat for a moment and say to you Kaylord Hill screenwriter why isn't this just another nazi movie because we've had so many so why is this not a nazi movie how would you respond to that
1: You know I've seen quite a few of them you know I've seen you know I've se- I've seen quite a few films in the uh and sort of the, the nazi canon I think that this is a story that is really about, that's really about one person, you, you know, like being a Nazi is such a, a gruesome, abnormal thing. And so I, I don't think many people are very interested in how people arrive to be like <laughs> these things, like how did people arrive to be Nazis? I think it's just, you know, we we have come to assume that this hate group, this this hate group that we've come to know them as just breeded hate, right? And people just grew up becoming like being this. Um, what was interesting for her story is that this was a person with a normal life. This was a person with, um, whose life was whose life was going great, was going in a direction that I think most people would consider normal and functional and progressive. And she decides that this is just not enough. And, you know, obviously what makes it unique is that um, there's a woman at the helm making these decisions. And she goes from, you know, very, very far from decision makers to very, very close to um, the world's most evil power brokers. And so um, this is also a story where um we're trying to study the human condition to an, to an extent as to like we're searching for why you know at every decision every decision that she makes that moves her toward this right that moves her toward um who she ends up becoming we're asking why we're asking why why does she become this like when we see it, this and this is a coming of age and I haven't seen I haven't seen many coming-of-age um, stories about children about how children have evolved. A, you know, you know, a kid grows up Jewish and evolves into, um, you know, a, a crazy seat of power. So I just, I really, I haven't seen that. Um, I haven't seen how someone goes from precocious to monster. I just haven't seen it. In, in terms of this specific canon, and and I think that's what makes it interesting. Um, I think that's what makes it you know a story worth telling, a story worth discussing, um, and uh, you know hopefully we get a shot to do it. You know,
0: um, I'm mean, I'm gonna go I'm gonna go more to to the professional science at the moment, but but I'm curious if you had any thoughts because uh, I mean we know that you know right after Hitler kills himself in the bunker, Magda kills six of her seven children. Um, Her and Jurgel Goebbels kills herself. No other wife of high-level Nazis did this. Any thought in in your research why Magda would go down this road? Because no other other Nazi woman did this.
1: You know, Magda spent her life wanting to be committed to something greater than herself. That's really her shtick. Like, she wants to be, she wants to, there's like two or three things. Like, number one, she wants to be committed to something greater than herself. Number two, she wants to be at the center of that. She wants to be influential. Magda, this is crazy to think about, right? But she wants to be an influencer. Man, you know, this just came to me. I'm being serious. This, like, literally just came to me think about let's think about how magda let's think about her personality right like she's you know obviously let, let's let's take off the 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 let's just call it for what it is is her as a person and who she is as uh as uh as the the first the, the unofficial first lady Nazi Germany. let's look at it this way like number one magda is known as the motherly figure The motherly figure of Nazi Germany, that's number one. Number two, Magda is known to kind of dress to the nines, right? She, if I'm not mistaken, had some, she had a failed, she was trying to, galvanized the women in, in in Germany to to dress a certain way, to dress with a certain level of class, to dress with a certain level of flair. Um, and so Magda had a style about her. Um, she, she had a charisma about how she carried herself, how she how she talked to people in rooms, right? Um, uh, three, um she's all ways itching to demonstrate that especially to her husband but obviously to Hitler uh she's itching to demonstrate that she lives she embodies uh this sort of Nazi ethic right and so if you look at it from that perspective especially again from this modern lens magda wants to be <laughs> you know she wants to be an influencer you know, uh, and that's kind that's that's the that that's the role that she's that she's sort of after. Um so I, I think it's uh uh I, I think it's I think it's interesting. So when you ask the question about like why did she do what no other no other woman decided to do? Well, because you know, to Magda, like her commitment to her commitment to the Nazi way. Um, is is pure, and she believes that if the world is no longer gonna have Hitler, this is no world for me. I'm not gonna take a chance on trying to escape and and live, you know, and live a, a hushed life or a quiet life in some, you know, some mountain somewhere. <clears throat> She's just not doing that. Um, and you know, so you know, I think she believed that this world of Nazi Germany was never going to end. And when it in fact came tumbling down and, you know, in her 45th year of life, um, to her, um, you know, it was a no-go. You know, she 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 pushed all her chips to the she pushed all her chips in and, you know, said, I'm out. Uh, and so. Uh, I believe she believed that her commitment was unrivaled, you know, even by her own husband um, and that this is the way this is the true way of national socialism. This is the true way of people who follow Hitler, that if you really follow Hitler um, and our leader, our fearless leader, whatever, um, has taken his life, then we too must follow suit because if he believed that this world was not suitable for him and he saw the end, then we need to follow suit. Um, and you know, and she takes her kids with her. And so, um, I, I do believe that, you know, she believed that she was devout in, in, in this practice of life. So. So,
0: that let, let's let's talk about um your process how 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 does one as a screenwriter how do you transform a book to a screenplay because most of is because you often hear well you know the uh, the movie's not like the book or, sure. or they didn't they didn't stay committed to the book explain those different because those are different methodologies so explain that if you would you know, the biggest
1: difference between, um, you know, books and and it sounds, it's going to sound crazy. It sounds crazy simple, but you know, books were meant to be read and, you know, books were meant to be read and scripts were meant to be made into moving pictures. Um, and you know, how you galvanize, you know, how you galvanize attention, um, with with readers, it, it's just different in, in terms of the you know the art of you know moving picture, a motion picture, um, and so um, in a book you can you can you can write a lot of exposition, you can write a lot of jargon, you can spend a lot of time describing things and and, and pining over how things look, feel, smell, things like that. Um, with motion picture. Um, you know, and obviously, I'm you know still learning, but I'm definitely a screenwriter. Um, like you people, especially writing television, which is you know what we've set out to create, which is a limited, you know, uh, or a mini series rather. Um, um, we have to create, you know, we have to create a world that people, um, immediately understand the rules and expectations of the world. Um, we, we have to create not only, you know, in TV, it's all about characters. So we got to come to the table with interesting character. Um, the most important thing is the thing about television is you you have to generate another episode. And so um, in a book, y- you can have storylines and you can have interesting you know, webs or, you know, storylines to follow. In television, you have to have a story engine, meaning you you have to have something that, you know, that it's turning, right, the engine of the, of the story as to, like, why are we going to come back for another episode, right? So, you know, you take your favorite show, your favorite show has a story engine. People may not realize that, but <clears throat> why do you keep coming back? And so, you know, um, you take your favorite show. You take, you know, my favorite show. You take my favorite show, Peaky Blinders. You know, the story engine is is you know is this gang going to outlive the next gang? I mean, that really is. I mean, it's a western, so it is. It is the Peaky Blinder gang versus you know multiple gangs around you know in Ireland or or the UK or Birmingham or whatever. It is. It is are they going to be able to survive to the next episode to build their empire? Right. And that's why we keep coming back. I mean, obviously Tommy Shelby's one of the great reasons why we keep coming back, but we, we, is the game going to win, you know, in this, you know, in this Western that's happening in Birmingham, you know, same thing with breaking bad, you know, is, you know, is Walter White going to get caught, you know, um, how much longer until a he either dies from cancer or B the police catch him how far can he take this drug thing right And those are the engines that are turning and so uh you know we you know as we continue to go through this story we even though this is going to be a mini series it probably won't be a second season because we know how this story ends but we have to figure we have to continually you know chop it, what is turning this story? You know, why are people gonna come back episode after episode uh, after episode? And that, that is by far the most challenging thing um, from book to screen is what are the engines that are making people, that are compelling people to come back? You know, what kind of cliffhangers are there? But, but, but really character action, um, and action and story. And you know, and why do people why why will people come back? So that, that that's the biggest difference, uh, in my opinion.
0: And we see oftentimes, you know, a movie based on the book, blah 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 blah. Sure. So how how in your experience, how difficult has it been for you, the screenwriter? to get the requisite attention for Solitaire? So someone might say, hey, let's green light this.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's definitely been tough. I mean, I won't say I've taken every, you know, I haven't exhausted every resource, so I'm not going to act like I have. Um, You know, I've been told no from screenwriting competitions and fellowships. Um, but to say that I've entered them all, you know, I haven't entered them all. So, I, you know, I definitely can't say that. Um, I, I do have some other ideas for Solitaire, but um, I, I think it's challenging being told no. I'm, I'm not at the point where I say the industry is telling me they don't want to hear this story. I can't necessarily say that um, because no one from the industry has exactly told me that. Um, right. Nobody, there's no producer has told me that's not going to get made. Right. Like my, my nose or what have you have come from, you know, competitions, which, you know, sometimes are, are, are read by, you know, the readers are, you know, various people, you know, anybody can be a reader in a screenwriting competition. Um, so, um, you know, nobody of, I will say, great merit has said this doesn't make sense um you know I've you know in the pitch competition at AFF you know Alec Berg and I can I can name that's
0: Austin film that's
1: the Austin Film Festival yeah the Austin Film Festival um I can say this because Alec Berg you know the creator co-creator of Barry co-writer of Barry as well um you know was one of the judges for the pitch competition and he was stoked about my pitch i mean i pitched it really well um he got kind of tied up on that it, it being titled so, the script being titled solitaire and how i was trying to work it as a metaphor into the pitch you know and I, I think he was just he was he got tripped up on the metaphor and the story and like how does this work is there a solitaire tournament kind of thing um I guess maybe I shouldn't have said that Queen's Gambit is the 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 it, so you know maybe I misled him but um mm-hmm. but I, I I don't I think people you know everybody has said like look this story is interesting it looks like you put a considerable amount of work into it there's something here's not there yet but no one's exactly said to me yo this isn't gonna work. I mean, people have warned me, like, "Hey, you know this this is kind of sensitive material," but no one of merit, you know, no, no producer at Paramount or what have you, has said to me, "Yo, this is just not gonna work." Um, and so, until I really get that, I really have no, ex- I have, really have no reason to stop um, because I do think. Um, you know, someone's going to make this story, and you know, and, and again, man, I, I definitely hope it's us. I hope definitely hope we sell it and, and it, it becomes a thing. But I know for a fact that her story is going to
0: get made. K-Load Hill, screenwriter, uh, I want to thank you for for not just spending time with me today on the public rally, but just telling this wonderful story. That, that the quote you will be made. So I, w- I want to thank you for spending time with me today. Yes, sir. The Public Morality welcomes your comments. You can contact me at byron at publicmorality.org. That's Byron, B-Y-R-O-N at publicmorality.org. You can follow me on Facebook as well as Twitter. The archive broadcast can be found on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Prime, and SoundCloud. Those listening to The Public Morality on WSNC can now listen on its app, Using your mobile device, simply go to your application page, search WSNC 90.5, and click Open to listen from anywhere. And once again, I want to thank Elvin Jenkins and Michael Burns at WGAB in Huntsville, Alabama for allowing us to broadcast the Public Morality at their studios. The Public Morality is produced at WSNC on the campus of Winston-Salem State University. For all of us at the Public Morality, I'm Byron Williams.